got to give it to Willie. He doesn't, he doesn't get too excited about anything. I just said if I was that age and that kind of money, I'd be, I might have slept here last night. But uh, my message to him is this, this, you're not getting paid. You don't need to change anything. But, you know, that old line, to whom much is given, much is expected. And, and to, to me, he's, he can take another step in his leadership. And when you see Willie competing and, and dug in, you know, playing a 200-foot game, our like, a, like our top guys do, our, the rest of the team follows. And so that was my message to him, is we don't need him to be anything different. We just, he continues to mature as a player, and when he's at his best, there's very few better than him in the league. Ben, morning show, Sports at 5.9 of the fan, Ben Ennis, Brian Cunning. And uh, that was Leafs general manager Brad Living yesterday after signing William Nylander to an eight-year extension that pays him $11.5 million. Uh, on average, over those eight years. If, if your work gave you a raise, would you sleep there? I didn't. I wasn't what, quite understanding so what Tree was getting at. I was. I did see some of the the footage coming out of Leafs practice yesterday, and it did appear that William Nylander was the first on the ice yesterday. So mm. maybe that was an indication that, like, hey man, if you're gonna get this ginormous contract that you've earned and you you forced us into, and my percentage is actually less than Mitch Marner mm-hmm. signed for. Uh, when he did, and even less than David Basternak signed for last year when he mm-hmm. did. But, like, you you would, yeah, you'd be putting in the hours. And I think that's part of this that, yeah, maybe people lose sight of because they think of the guy that at times, and this has been factual, at times has gone through games and parts of the season in which he, he hasn't been as visible as you would have liked him to have been mm-hmm. in previous years. But this is a guy that is one of the hardest workers in the National Hockey League, by all accounts. Anybody yep. that's ever spent any amount of time with him, and we've talked to plenty in the building, people were there for his couple of stints with the, the Marlies. They, mm-hmm. This guy wanted to be one of the best players in the National Hockey League from a counting stats perspective. He has turned himself into that top five in points this season, coming off a very good season a year ago, and now he's being paid like one. Yeah, and he wants... He wants the tough love. Like, he has been adamant about that through the buildup to becoming this player, that he wants to be held to a certain standard. Yeah. And I'm he's, sure. he's not like the other guy. Like, he doesn't mind the stick. Oh, who's it that? seems like. I don't know who you're The talking. other guy whose oh. extension will be the topic of conversation oh, this offseason right. going into next year. John Tavares famously no. thin-skinned <laughs> and doesn't like to be criticized. Right. Okay. I no, see not what him. Oh. Other guy. Okay. I'll just let anybody else fill in the blank there. The guy wearing Darcy Tucker's number. Oh, okay. I love Darcy Tucker. Uh and the other guy, pretty yeah. good too. The I think the thing that you you look at with this with Nylander is that you've you've seen the growth from the player. You've seen him asked to be held accountable. And I think the other thing with this is that there is a long enough track record now that people don't look at this as a contract year sur- surge. They look at this as a guy who has, to your point, put in the work. He has become a different player than he was when he signed the last contract. And the other thing, and I I know we got Luke on the line, but I think this part of it goes without, or shouldn't go without saying, but needs to be reiterated is go look where he gets his goals. Yeah. There's a lot of them flying down the wing and snapping at low blocker with the great release that he has. There's a lot of that. There's also a lot of cycle play and grinding and goals around the net. Like this guy who works, works, works. So mm-hmm. we can quibble about the number we have. We will forever. I'm sure until the next one gets signed, uh, but a hell of a player and quite honestly, deserving of, of the money far from a steal, but deserving of it. I think it's fair to say. Yeah. Think about the goal he scored in, in San Jose. That wasn't the empty net or that was, I mean, it was after that two on who down low, which I, I, I guess happens, uh, not to other teams. I would think San Jose probably not. Uh, and then, yeah, 
uh, banks it off a goaltender and in, but that is uh, right by the goal mouth. All right, time now for our insider, brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. Today's insider, Luke Fox, Sportsnet Leafs reporter. How's it going, Luke? It's going well. How are you, gentlemen? Doing doing very well. So give us a sense of, of what you think is going through Brad Tree Living's mind, because like he's, he's given an outward... Uh, perception of, of confidence, and I'm sure he's very confident um, in in what he's done this season and and what he expects this team to do and and what his plan is going forward. There has to be a level of at least sheepishness, like at, at looking at where this number ended up and and where the extension ended up. Do you agree? I agree, uh, and I was thinking about that a little bit. And after the you know he met with us yesterday at the Leafs practice facility, the tone. Uh, in, you know, announcing this deal, saying all the good things about it, was a little bit different than the tone Trey Living struck in the summer uh, when he announced the Austin Matthews deal. You know, I remember there was a line in the, in the Ma- Matthews presser where he was like, this got done because Austin wanted it to get done, and, you know, it was really important to get it done ahead of time. This one was kind of like, you know, I, I know people are going to have their takes and, you know, there, there's going to be, this is going to be hotly contested, but it's always a good day when you, you keep talent. It's always a good day when you keep talent. Um, and basically his hands were tied guys. Like, I don't, I don't know where he, he would have went. Uh, does he play hardball? You know, it takes a, it takes a really strong GM to pull off what, Steve Eiserman did with Steven Stamkos a few years back and said, yeah, go ahead, go test the market. I know you like it here. I, I, I'm, I'm willing to, to risk losing you because I'm sticking to this number and you take it or you leave it. That takes a strong stomach. And I think it takes an even stronger stomach if you've been burned two summers prior by Johnny Gaudreau. Like that is a risky, risky game to play. Uh, so I, I don't know. I don't know what other choice he had. It, you know, the Vegas Golden Knights are not trading Alex Petrangelo for William Nylander. Like, who are you going to get? Noah Hannafin? Come on. So it, the player just played. He had leverage to begin with, with the no trade, with being in his prime, with being the confident young man that he is, willing to to press management. He'd already proven that as an RFA. He's even more confident now and even a better player now. And then all he does is go out and score like a point in 33 of 37 games, have as many points as Connor McDavid. Like he had leverage and then he bent more leverage. It it was, it was like he demolished them in negotiations. Yeah, I don't. I don't know what other negotiations. Way. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that yeah. Uh, that's the other part of it. And you know, I think we all understand every every part of the scenario you just laid out. It does feel like the options available to Treliving and the Leafs were sign this deal now or potentially take it to UFA in the summer. Maybe you have the one less year to play with if it gets all the way there. Maybe you then are able to play more hardball, but. You know, if Brad Trelivings, you know, wouldn't be his first, it'd be the second. But if his second big act as Leafs GM is watching William Nylander walk out the door for nothing, it's a, it's a pretty untenable start to to his his run here. So I'm with you. I think it was certainly a rock and a hard place. I want to one day get out of looking at it this way, but I think it's impossible for people not to think of it. Is let's live in a world where 
Brendan Shanahan re-signed the general manager he thought he wanted to at the beginning of all this. Do you think it plays out any differently? Do you think Dubis would have had more of a stomach to take it to the end? Do you think he would have been more aggressive? Like, there was so much talk about with Treliving that, you know, say what you will about Kyle Dubas and the team he built up, but even the people who are most bullish on him would say he could have done a better job potentially negotiating contracts or extracting value. I don't know how true that is, but there's definitely some element of that there. How different do you think this would have played out if the Leafs would have run it back from a front office perspective like they initially planned to? Yeah, I'm not so sure it would have played out any different because, you know, yeah, Brett Living was the one dealing with Lewis Gross and negotiating this deal, but, you know, a deal of this magnitude, the largest deal in, in Leafs history by total dollars, that doesn't get done uh, if the president's not on board. And I, I think it's pretty clear that, that Brendan Shanahan has, has cast his lot with this core. And is, it, it's up to the players now. Like, are they going to find a way to win a cup? And, and if they do, then all this, you know, hand-wringing and debating amongst fans, is, is this guy worth as much as this guy? And what are his cap comparables? And should this guy have been traded uh, a couple of years ago, or should we have signed Tavares in the first place? All that stuff will go away if they can actually deliver. And the frightening thing is the only place that they've delivered is at the negotiating table so far. But on, <laughs> the, bright at side, the, bank. But on the bright side, they're still all in their prime. They're still yeah. going to get multiple cracks at, like, at this. One as early as a, a few months from now in the spring. Yeah. Like they, they can still change the way they're perceived. Uh, but it just ratchet, ratchets up the, the pressure on them to actually deliver on the ice. Um, so, it, you know, in a, in a, in a silo, I, I think William Nylander is worth this contract. He's been amazing. He's in his prime. He's improved defensively. He's shown up in the playoffs. All those good things. Uh, he Would he have got the same on the open market? Maybe something, maybe a little bit less, but... Uh, you know, he, he's a good player who got paid. But I think the bigger picture is, can you win with having such a lopsided cap structure? Mm. Like, the, these guys, um, depending on who else signs, like how much Pedersen signs, but there's a chance that the Leafs are going to have four of the top ten cap hits next season. And they're all forwards. Yeah. Like, can, can you win that way? That's, it's, it's the ultimate question with this group. Yeah, and I I like... Brad for living and like Kyle Dubas before him and like Brendan Shanahan, I would have looked at, you know, 111 points last year and 115 the year before that and the counting stats for these star players and said, yeah, yeah, because they have like during the regular season. But I've also, man, I've, I've watched the last seven postseasons, right? And it, it's, it resulted in one postseason series victory in which you actually got outplayed in the six games against the Tampa Bay Lightning and took advantage of Andre Vasilevsky not nearly at his best. And I know a lot of those have come down to coin flip winner-take-all games, but, yeah, they've also fell on, fallen on their faces in those games. But uh, I do get it. Like, it, especially for Brad Living, who doesn't have that that weight of, of the previous seven postseasons, who's like, yeah, I don't know. Like, that, why wouldn't this work? It, it just hasn't. So, <laughs> but this is, this is it. This is the way it's going to go until maybe at the conclusion of next season, because even if it goes pear-shaped this postseason William Neal or um, Mitch Marner still under contract for one more year full no move for him same with John Tavares and 
And yeah, I guess we can have that conversation next year uh, as far as the plan for those two guys. But John Tavares did speak yesterday and said he wanted to be mm-hmm. a, a leaf beyond his 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 contract here that he signed as a as a free agent. And we've all just assumed it's going to be some sort of massive massive discount. But like, wh- what are we talking about here? Are we talking about like a geo like minimum contract? Like, uh-huh. like wh- wh- what are we talking about for 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 John Tavares at the conclusion of next season? Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great question. <laughs> No, we're not talking Geo. Like, <laughs> come on. This, this, guy, this, this guy's still a top six forward. He's legitimate. I know he's not as fast and flashy as, as some people like, but he produces and he's consistent and he stays healthy. And the, there's a lot of good things to like about John Tavares. And I, and I think probably because his, his cap hit is 11, that he probably hasn't got as much love sometimes as, as he probably deserves. Uh, but no, Lou, no, let he... me jump in there. Not probably, definitely. He scored a overtime goal to put his team into the second round of the playoffs for the first time since many people can remember. Definitely not appreciated enough. Agreed. It's kind of it, it is kind of crappy, like what Gary Bettman's hard cap has done. Like oh, how, thank you, Luke. In, in terms of the perception, like fan perception on how they view players, like the Nylander thing, they lock up one of the most dynamic, exciting, productive guys in the whole sport yesterday, right? Yep. And But everything's viewed through, uh, well, could we have got him for half a million less? Or, <laughs> you know what I mean? It kind of it stinks, right? He, agree, he, he loves Toronto, wants to be here the max term. Yeah, he took the team to the cleaners, but that's his right as a pending UFA. Anyway, back to Tavares. I think Leaf fans should pay attention to what happens with Steven Stamkos this summer. Um, you know, I think Stamkos, yeah, he's probably had the, the better career, certainly more playoff success. But let's see what his number comes in at because I think that will kind of be the comparable because they're kind of the same age, kind of got, got two guys that have aged very well that are going to have to take a pay cut on on their next deal as they move into their, their late 30s, but not uh, – Jason Spezza pay cut. Like these are still productive, valuable top six forwards in the league. So uh, if you're looking for Tavares to take less than 11, absolutely. Uh, If you're looking to take less than a million, forget about it. But it was interesting, you know, when he was asked like on a day like this, where a guy commits, does it make you think about your own future? And he's like, yeah, that's a little ways away, but he made a point to say, I love being here. I want to stay here. I love being captain here. And uh, I, so, and I think he's a smart enough to guy to realize that if he actually wants to stay here, he's going to have to take a bit of a haircut. Yeah, I wonder if the, you mentioned Stamkos, I think that's a very apt comparable, especially in the here and now. The guy I wonder about as well is Pavelski. Like, I just look at the, mm. the last couple of deals he took. It was seven times three, then it went to five for one year. Now he's on three and a half. I, you know, think one of those deals, I'll, I'll you know, we'll all wonder between now and then is maybe the kind of roadmap for, for Tavares there. And, you know, uh, obviously Pavelski a little longer in the tooth at 39 years old. So Stamkos, the more likely uh, com- comparable here. What do you think? I mean, obviously this affects Mitch Marner. Does this leave the, and I don't expect this to happen, but does this leave the door open to him being the guy who takes, and like, we don't want to overstate it. This guy's not leaving 
millions of dollars on the table, and I don't even mean that over the life of a deal, let alone on any given one year, but do we think this opens the door for him to potentially be the guy who takes a little less, or do you just think we're out of that mode in the NHL? You know, I heard Friedman making the rounds yesterday talking a lot about how he thinks that era's kind of over in the NHL. Star players are looking around and seeing what stars in other sports make, but if I'm looking at the PR win here, you know, Nylander took the eight years. I I, I often thought that was going to be the way Marner was going to get the PR win on his next deal. Does this potentially open the door to allowing him to be the one guy in the core? And, you know, we talk about Tavares, but he's a different animal having been paid and, you know, longer in his career and into his 30s. What do we think this does for Marner and the possibility of what his deal is in terms of public perception? Yeah, I think it's a great question. Uh, I, I can't, it's hard for me to fathom Marner wanting to take less than Nylander. Uh, these are competitive guys. I mean, they're all friends, and they're, they've, they've all grown tighter over the years being together, the ups and the downs and all that. But there's also a little element of internal competition. I don't think you get to be this level of athlete, a star player in hockey, if you aren't a little competitive, even with your teammates, even if it's friendly competition. Uh, you know, Nylander didn't want to be crazy behind Matthews in terms of, salary right that was that's part of what has driven this that's yeah. that's why teams have in, internal cap structures the guys compare themselves to guys wearing the same sweater uh it's hard for me to fathom marner and the cap will have gone up uh, another bump right because he's negotiating a year later taking less than the kneelander especially you know he's got the the feather in his cap of being a more uh, complete defensive player. So I'd be shocked for him to take less, but I would love to give Marner some truth serum and ask if he would give a little bit back um, from his last deal yeah. uh, based on public perception. Because I think the same thing as, as, as I kind of mentioned, people view him through the prism of uh, he did not leave a single dollar on the table. Um, that RFA class had like Miko Ranton Point. and... Uh, Braden Point, exactly. Uh, and so I, I think a lot of the Marner frustration, I think some of it's legit in terms of he's had some bad playoff moments with, with the you know elimination on the line. But I think a lot of it has to do with uh, you know value per dollar. And that's, that's hurt his public perception. And I wonder if you know the last few years have changed. Um, you know, he would never, I don't think he would ever admit it or talk about it. But it's just something I wonder, like, would, would he give a, a million back mm. per year if it if it changed how he was he was viewed in his hometown? I, I don't know. It depends how close to uh, July 1st that is when the signing bonus hits. Because when he got 15-3 and 14-3 in the first two years, I bet he'd say, no, this this pretty good, I think. Yeah. Uh, but now in the middle of uh, February and there were a ways away from that signing bonus hitting, yeah, maybe he does feel that yeah. way. And at least at least the eight-year extension is the roadmap for him now as well as opposed to the I would six. think so, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. oh, let, let me let me throw one about the eight years there. Are we is that a one thousand percent? Like we've talked about this so much, I don't want to be the guy who immediately gets what he asked for and then starts complaining about it. But 
are we positive that's a win for the Leafs? Like taking them to year 34, would it have been better if that was a six-year deal from their perspective? Obviously, you know, the second part of that is what that would do to the AAV one way or another. But are we positive that the, because, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily believe in this. I think the right answer is the middle ground here. But I heard some people when the Matthews deal came out making the case that, you know, maybe you would have liked another year or two, but not going to 34 with the players at the injury history and just aging into your 30s. Are we positive that the eight years is a slam dunk win for the Leafs, or is that just a slam dunk win for Nylander? Well, it's, yeah, it's it's like a slam dunk win for Nylander, right? Because it, it guards for against sure. uh, in, any injury. Like, it's guaranteed money. He's getting most of it up front. Uh, yeah, it's, it may not be for the Leafs. You're right. Like, could you get him six? But then the but then the price goes up. Yeah. For, like, the cap hit goes up. So, you know. He got what he wanted. He, he had all the leverage. Um, but you're right. I, I think the window is not uh, Nylander's eight years. The window is Austin's four beyond this one. Yep. Yeah, if it wasn't a win for Nylander, we wouldn't have signed it because he only signed for wins. Very uh, true. Uh, <laughs> okay, last one. Uh, do we see the Hill to Beast ever? Like, I, and I know. Yeah, like, I know. Right? I, I know. And Martin Jones plays super well, but and, and I I'm down with him starting tonight. But if if Dennis Hildeby is going to play on Sunday against a much better Red Wings team. I might want to get his feet wet against an inferior team at home uh, on a on a Tuesday against the Sharks, or is it just the plan never to play him? The plan might be to never to play him. I don't know. Uh, I, I would be shocked if Martin Jones did another back-to-back on the weekend, but he's getting the start tonight. You got you to gotta think, as long as he's healthy, he's going to get the start on Long Island. So, uh, you know, the first we will probably see of the, the Hildebeest here is, is against Detroit. I guess you just take the, take the points you can get, um, you know, start Martin Jones against the Sharks who have zero regulation wins in their past 11 and, and just look like a, a mess. Yeah. You might as well just bank those points because I guess, I guess yeah. I mean, he's, he, I know he he's play, this will be his fifth consecutive start, uh, Martin Jones. But some of those starts, guys, they weren't overly taxing. Mm. So uh, you know they've, he's had a couple days off to rest and get. I I think I think getting the top seed is an attainable goal for the Leafs, and I think it's something they should strive to do because I I I think if they draw the Panthers or in the first round, uh, they're going to be in tough. Yeah, no, the team that's won seven straight and beaten the defending yeah. champs twice over that span. Yeah, no, I think that they might be in tough. Uh, Luke, always great. Uh, enjoyed your piece on, on the website as well today. Thanks for doing this. All right, have a good one, guys. Thanks. There's uh, Luke Fox, our insider, who was brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. Panthers have beat the Golden Knights twice, but the Leafs just beat the Sharks and Ducks, so who can say what's more impressive? Probably the thing the Panthers did. Right. Also, I have a gripe with you. Okay. You did you dislike, I, I could see you visibly wincing when we had McKee on and I referred to Martin Jones as Jonesy. Mm-hmm. You you probably would have hated it even more if I went with the incorrect Joneser. Joneser. Matthews actually, throws that at him. No, Joneser is actually better. You I like, like Joneser. It's funnier. Jonesy is correct. And there was <laughs> Jonesy is correct. It is. There's a right and wrong way to do is, hockey. Na- Look, no, that's a, Paul Jones. No, no. Paul Jones is Jonesy. Yes, that's, okay. Well, okay. But 
like if Martin Jones gets shut out again tonight, um, Paul Jones on that. Not on the hot seat, but like he has to share it in the town. Sorry. Mm, I like Old Bones Jones. Old Bones Jones <laughs> is very, very good as well. But you visibly like winced when I went to that. Jones. But I feel like you exclusively called Dennis Hildeby the Hildebeast. No, I, th- I think that might be the first time I've ever done it. I feel like you do it a fair amount. I did like Kipper. Hildebeast is better than Jonesy. Give no, me a break. Jo- what are jo- you talking about? Jonesy's great. And what I was going to say is the reason there is a right way to do hockey names is there's a former coworker of ours here who who refers to me, and I bet he would do it if I saw him in the wild, as Gunny, which is borderline offensive. Like, I <laughs> I, um, I was doing a show with him once, and he called me that, and I almost had to I just leave. I would do Gunnerer. Gunnerer. Gunnerer? Yeah. Gunner, obviously. No, no, Guns, Guns is good. No, Gunnerer. I will also accept... Uh, I like as, nicknames that are longer than the actual name. Well, if you do like that, you'll love this. I also would accept uh, former fan producer Matt Brown used to refer to me as Gunner Stahl. Uh, shout out Mighty Ducks. All so right. I like that one as well. That's, not That's hot nickname talk. Kingsy! <laughs> coming up next. Uh, Kinger! But before we do that... Oh, right. The Toronto International Boat Show is returning to the Entercare Center at Exhibition Place from January 19th to the 28th. Giving away tickets to the event and ballots for a chance to win the grand prize, a uh, Princecraft fishing boat with a Mercury engine and trailer. We also have our own VIP prize, which includes dinner for two, a $100 shopping spree at the show, and an overnight stay at the Weston Harbor Castle. Just listen for the code words on our show today until January 19th. Text the code word 59590, and you'll be entered for a chance to win. Today's code word is Princecraft. We have another code word tomorrow, so be sure to tune in. The aforementioned Kinger, Peter King, Football Morning in America next. The Fan Morning Show continues. Ben Annis, Brent Gunning, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Fresh views on everything in the National Football League. It's the Fan Checkdown with Matt Marchese and Donovan Bennett. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Fan Morning Show, Sportsnet 590, The Fan, Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning. We are just days away from Super Wild Card Weekend. Super. So you get three days of NFL playoff action starting on Saturday and carrying over uh, through to the Monday. Uh, let's talk to Peter King of Football Morning in America, NBC Sports. How's it going, Peter? I bet everybody's really excited for that Philadelphia-Tampa Bay hustle on Monday night when, <laughs> when Tampa Bay, despite being a home underdog, to one of the worst teams ever entering the playoffs, uh, Tampa Bay is going to win that game 468 to nothing. Well, when you sell it like that, Peter, how can we turn away? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so now that we're here, okay, let's start there then. Um, because it was not that long ago we were talking about the Eagles as maybe the best team in the NFL, and what a shocking development. They lost to the Jets, their first loss of the season, but, oh, that happens. You're not going to run the table, especially when you play 17 games, and then, I mean, they wrap up the season looking just like impossibly bad on the defensive end and we're never in a game against the Giants of all teams in week 18. Yeah. I mean, I guess anything can happen over the, the, the span of a week, but like if they lose to the Buccaneers in a, in a fashion that look that resembles the last month or so of football, could we actually see significant changes in Philadelphia? I think you could. Um, I think that as of now, uh, I I do not recall ever between Thanksgiving and the end of the year a team being as different and falling off a cliff the way the Philadelphia Eagles have. Literally, I, I mean, I've covered the NFL for 40 years. I racked my brain over the weekend 
I just don't recall a team going from uh, arguably the best team to, uh, you know, there are, okay, so there are, obviously, there are 14 teams that make the playoffs. There's six or seven teams minimum right now that would be, could be, should be favored if they played a game against the Philadelphia Eagles today. And so you say, well, what happened? I think one of the things that I find interesting is that I look at that offense, I look at Jalen Hurts, I look at even his protection, and they've got a good offensive line. I look at all that and I say, you know, there is really something wrong. I hesitate to say it's effort, but I do think solid effort solves a lot of problems. And I think effort has been an issue uh, with some of the players, and I definitely think on the defensive front, effort has been an issue. Jalen Carter hasn't made a play in six weeks. Uh, I don't know. I I look at I look at this team, and you wonder: Have they tuned out their coach? Are they just so fatigued after the Super Bowl run last year? It is. De- Debilitating sometimes to be an athlete in the city of Philadelphia. Uh, It's, you know, you get, you just, you're under such a microscope. The press kills you uh, in print and electronically when you're not doing well. And they're getting killed right now. I, I just, I really look at this and I say, there's gotta be an adult in the room for years. There was with Andy Reid and they've really struggled in the decade since to find a guy who can consistently year after year, make that team play to its peak. And I wonder if they collapse out of the playoffs. I really wonder if Nick Sirianni's job is safe. You're not going to find out anything about that right now, but I would be concerned if I were Sirianni about his job, if they, play terribly in Philadelphia or in uh, Tampa. And I think there's a decent chance they will. Yeah. I mean, they've been playing terribly for better part of two months now. So uh, yeah, the trend would, would dictate that it might, you know, that's interesting. I wanted to stick to the wild card games, but that's a pretty interesting nugget. And I just want to expand on it there. You know, Ben and I earlier were talking today. Obviously we saw what happened with Harbaugh in the college football championship game last night. There's been a ton of smoke around him and, you know, people have bandied about the idea of the chargers with, you know, the idea of a ready-made quarterback and Herbert there, but what would it do to the NHL or sorry, NFL uh, coaching character? there if a job like the Eagles became available. I mean, that is a tier one job that you can look at both in terms of the roster that's there and the ownership, what they've proven the ability to do. What would it do to the the coaching search across the league and potentially the ability or the the curiosity for somebody like Harbaugh to want to get back to the NFL if a job like that was available? Um, It's a great question. Um, And I think there's a lot of people doing a lot of homework on Jim Harbaugh around the league right now. What would make Jim Harbaugh uh, an interesting but delicate fit in, um, in Philadelphia is that they have a very strong and influential general manager in Howie Roseman 
and they have a very involved owner in Jeffrey Lurie. So Jim Harbaugh is going to want to go to a job where he has tremendous influence. And obviously a coach has tremendous influence wherever he goes. But I also think that the Eagles, one of the reasons they might, might consider Jim Harbaugh is out of desperation, desperation to get this team playing at the level that it should. I I think though, whoever hires Jim Harbaugh, and I assume he's going to get an NFL job. You have to understand that Jim Harbaugh rarely leaves a job with everybody singing Kumbaya. Right. You know, there's a lot of reports out of Michigan that he's alienated a lot of people there, including the athletic director. When he left San Francisco a few years ago, I'd say there were people in that organization who truly hated Jim Harbaugh and basically said good riddance, even though he brought him to three championship games, three conference championship games in four years. Mm -hmm. So imagine the enmity that a person has to bring with him if in the span of four years, you go to three championship games and all the influential people in the organization want you out. So you've got to understand that Jim Harbaugh is an acquired taste. And if you hire him, you're not hiring John Harbaugh. Everybody said, well, they're brothers. I mean, they, you know, they got to be the same or that whatever. I mean, you know, that's one of the dumbest things I've ever heard. Well, he's John Harbaugh's (laughs) brother. Harbaugh it's going to coach in Baltimore for 25 years. Have those people ever met brothers? They're all so different. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, come on. It's a, it's a totally naive. I had somebody, I I mean, this is about two weeks ago on a talk show saying, well, geez, I mean, John Harbaugh is tough too. I said, are you kidding me? I said the Raven and he is tough. Mm -hmm. The Ravens love John Harbaugh, Steve Bishotti, Eric DaCosta, they have their battles. They love John Harbaugh. And you just can't say the same thing about a lot of high-level people who've worked with Jim Harbaugh. Now, you know, maybe all's fair in love and war, and you can take that if you say, well, I know the reward will be worth it. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's fine. You know, and honestly, there's some owners, I think David Tepper, wouldn't care if you burn the building down <laughs> if you won games. But I don't think every owner is like that. Yeah, hard to imagine anybody choosing to go work for David Tepper, but I guess if if the check is big enough, I, I don't know. The, the the other potential vacancy exists in New England, and it just it felt like it was fait accompli that there would be a parting of ways between Bill Belichick and Robert Kraft and, and that organization. What a what a horrible way to go out it would be uh, in that final game of the season against the Jets. But like I, I'm 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 reading and listening to some of the Belichick comments post uh, post the Sunday game and yesterday and it does feel like there's you know a, a, an attempt to to acquiesce to maybe change and and maybe let go of the the gm responsibilities what is your sense in the last couple of days about what might transpire in new england my sense is um that it's going to end in divorce um but i don't know that I just, I think the Crafts have had enough of Bill Belichick. 
And you say, well, geez, they won six Super Bowls. Well, you know, they've also worked together for 24 years. And a lot of things are not meant to be forever. And Bill Belichick is a great football coach, but he is a greating human being. And he's very difficult to deal with when you win. And I can imagine how difficult he is to deal with when you lose. My feeling is that the Patriots want to move on. We'll see if they can sit in a room with Bill Belichick and say, okay, hire a general manager, bring back Josh McDaniels, hand him control of the offense, uh, and bring in a general manager who runs the draft, and we'll give you two more years, and we'll extend your contract. Could they do that? Yeah, of course they could. Will they do that? I just don't know. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see the the way it plays out. Let's say there is a, a clean divorce or it's a it's an uncomfortable one. Regardless, let's say Bill Belichick is no longer in the picture. How comfortable or or sorry, uh, how sought after a situation is that? How are the crafts thought of? I mean, we just talked about David Tepper. I don't think anybody would say the crafts are that, but they have worked with one one man and one man only for the like you said, the better part of over two decades now. How highly sought after would that organization be? I mean, it's a big job to turn it around, but obviously it is a very motivated one, and you know, under different circumstances, but they've proven they can one or they can win in the past. How would that job be be viewed in the in the way we're talking about be it a chargers one or an eagles job that could potentially be be out there the talent level is not good it's just not good i wrote this in my column this week of the last 28 player of the 28 draft choices from rounds one two and three between 2014 and 2020 that is seven drafts 28 draft choices, zero have been signed to second contracts with New England. What does that tell you about Bill Belichick's drafting prowess? It tells me he stinks. Bill Belichick, the general manager, has doomed Bill Belichick, the coach, period. Mm -hmm. That's why if you're Josh Harris in Washington, if you're Dean Spanos, uh, with the Chargers or or Mark Davis even. Look, these guys are, if they sit down with Bill Belichick, they'll probably be starstruck uh, a little bit. But at some point, there's got to be an adult in the room, and that adult has to say, Bill, we're interested in you as a coach. We're not interested in you as a general manager, and we want to know what is your plan on offense to develop a top quarterback. Don't tell us any of the guys you've had in New England, with the exception, quite honestly, of Josh McDaniels. Now, people are going to snicker at Josh McDaniels, but all I can say is look at his record working with Tom Brady over the years. Look at his record in his first year with Mac Jones uh, and ask Tom Brady about Josh McDaniels. And he will tell you, essentially, Josh McDaniels, I trusted him implicitly. I never really got involved with the formation of the offense. I trusted him and it worked. And so I'll just say, you, you got to ask a lot of hard questions to Bill Belichick if you want to hire him. Uh, this is our, our only chance to talk to you before Super Wild Card Weekend, <clears throat> Peter. So I do want to talk about the, the upcoming games. Uh, Buffalo Bills, 
uh, get the full Josh Allen experience uh, on Sunday night with a couple of end zone interceptions and and the fumble, but also the incredible drive at the end of the game and uh, the victory over the Dolphins, and they end up where I guess people would have expected them to be at the beginning of the season as the two seed in the AFC. I mean, do we just erase everything that's happened previous? Like, how do you view the Bills' ability to run through the AFC out of that position? Absolutely, unequivocally can do it, could do it. One thing nobody's really talking about right now with um, with Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens is that since he has been in the league, uh, he he's going to win the MVP this year. He'll have two MVPs, and yet um, his playoff record is a D minus. He's played in four games. He's lost three of them. They lost the number one seed game at home to Tennessee. Uh, and in those four games that he's played, he has produced 13 points a game, 52 points in four games. So, and again, I do think this is a different Lamar Jackson, and I think he's better than the last time he played in the playoffs three years ago. Overall, I think his offense is better. Todd Munkin has done a great job there, but I got to see it. I want to see it. Um, that would be my one thing. And so I don't have any questions about the Bills at their peak. The question is, can they survive some of the mistakes that Josh Allen is going to make? He will make a big mistake or two in every game, but he'll also be able to pull you out of that with great play and clutch situations. That's just who he is. And I'll take him eight days a week. I think he's one of the three, four best quarterbacks in football, even with his uh, his problems that he brings. I was at the game the other night in Miami, and I talked to him after the game. I want a quarterback who wants the ball in his hands late in the game, and I who has to have the ball in his hands, who says on third and 13, I am going to make this first down. Nobody's going to stop me. I, you know, that, and again, so I'm willing to deal with uh, some of the zits on his resume. Yeah, Peter, uh, I, I agree with all that with, with Alan, especially in the in the year of the backup where we've seen so many of that and even the guys we think of is truly transcendent. Like even Mahomes having a, a down year for, for him. Uh, in terms of the Packers and Cowboys, I mean, if you just look at the laundry, it's the sexiest game of the week. If you look at the teams, it's it's certainly up there. Uh, what a weird year it's been for the Pack. Uh, felt like we were anointing Jordan Love, felt like we poured dirt on him. All of a sudden, he's back a little bit. Uh, how much of a shot do you, do you give him against the Cowboys and and what would a loss for Dallas at this point in time spell for, for the offseason there? Any team that enters the playoffs having won six out of eight with a quarterback in those eight games who's thrown 18 touchdowns and one interception, who is oblivious to expectations, uh, hype, all that stuff. Jordan Love just doesn't care about all that stuff. Uh, is they're going to be a threat. The Packers will make this a competitive game. A loss by Dallas, and I think everything is on the table. I have said for weeks that if Bill Belichick is on the street and the Cowboys season ends in a crash and burn, which a wild card playoff loss to the seventh seed in the NFC would be, 
um, then I think nothing is guaranteed. Nothing is a lock. And just remember one thing, 20 years ago, 21 years ago, actually, uh, Jerry Jones took a private jet to a small airstrip in New Jersey, in New Jersey, and he met with Bill Parcells on that plane and a marriage that no one could ever see happening uh, was made. And Parcells actually enjoyed working for Jerry Jones. And I will bet if Belichick's on the street and has a conversation with Parcells, Parcells will strongly endorse Jerry Jones. So I don't know what any of that means other than if I were Mike McCarthy, I would think I need to win this game this weekend. Yeah. Belichick and Dallas, <laughs> that would be a story. Uh, Peter, uh, always great to chat. Thanks for this. All the best, guys. Thank you. You too. Peter King, Football Morning in America. I, I, I could see that, you know, creating some headlines. What's sexier, Harbaugh or Belichick? Belichick, 100%. What are you talking in, – in in Dallas? Yes. At the outset, at the outset, Belichick, absolutely sexier. But then we get if into I'm a the Cowboys, Cowboys of it. If, if oh, I'm a Cowboys fan, I would Harbaugh. want Harbaugh. But just like from a narrative perspective, what are you talking – like the, the all-time mm-hmm. greatest coach yeah. arguably in NFL history joining the most prestigious franchise that hasn't – Return to glory in 30-plus years. Like, no, there's... Mm. And the media machine and him grumbling. Jerry yeah. Jones oh, and oh, Bill God. Belichick? Are you out of your mind? I don't know why I can't just answer a question every once in a while. Oh, I need it And the now, Parcells actually. disciple? Like, yeah, oh, my God. It. I need it. What are you... Oh, my... <laughs> That's... I hadn't really even legitimately thought about the possibility of that that union, but that's... Now I need it. I, I need to mm. see that. And he's got it. Again... Dak Prescott's not a perfect quarterback, no. and certainly in the postseason, things haven't gone his way. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're going to make uh, the argument for Justin Herbert being a, a ready-made situation in L.A. with the Chargers, like mm-hmm. you, the same argument has to be made for, for Dak, sure. and at least there's a quarterback there. Oh, yeah. I, I like that a whole lot. And, I, Parsons, would, and I, just, I would like to see the Cowboys fans melting down after a wild-card loss. I'd be here for that as well. Oh, my I'm God. Not, not that I like. I'm so thrilled to see Packers fans squawking around either because they're like, they're basically just Cowboys Junior. But, you know, I'd say this as a Patriots <laughs> fan from the 2000s. But, I uh, yeah, I'd be but totally the, fine with all that. There's not a, a matchup outside of, like, yeah. Bills, Steelers. But, like, you could see, I mean, uh, there is not an, a, a zero possibility that the Bills lose that game to a Steelers no. team that had a no, negative no, 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 point no, no, differential. No. There's... We're, this is wild card weekend. There's usually one horrible game that is unwatchable. I yeah. don't, which one is it? Yeah, Brown, Browns Texans is. Yeah, but still, like the like the Browns. No, you, no. You, do, you do discount the possibility the Browns could run through the AFC with that defense. No, and not Joe at all. Flacco. No, and, not at all. I just think that Joe Flacco in the year 2024. If you're going to ask me to pick an unsexy game, that's the one I'm going to go to. Sorry, Joe. CJ Stroud exists, though. Yeah, no, that's the thing. That's the that's the thing saving it. Yeah, no, there's there's no stinker. Mm. I didn't think Eagles box. Mm, yeah, maybe. But even still, like that's you're just there because you're going to get to point out how that's wrong it right. was. You're I so can't wait for that. Oh. But yeah, let's not pay attention to the Chiefs though if they lose that game. The Dolphins. Okay, good. All right. Uh, <laughs> this has been the Fan Morning Show. Ben Anis, Brent Gunning, Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Good morning. Good morning.